May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, today is the seventh Sunday after Trinity, and we continue that, that long journey of living out the reality of our salvation and our sanctification, which, like I've previously described in homilies, it's not a sprint, but a marathon which takes endurance, because as we all know, uh, life is a series of ups and downs. It's a series of, of joy and sadness. It's a series of uh, having victories as well as tra tragedies because that is the human condition in a fallen world. And everything that we are doing right now ultimately is preparing for eternity. And that's why we rehearse the wedding and supper of the Lamb every week. All right, and, uh, and that's why it's important that, that even when we're at low points that we are here uh, to actually worship uh, the Lord amongst God's people uh, together because we are all in this journey together. So for that reason, we continue in that season of growth and that growth is signified by the color green, which is the color of growth. And sometimes we do experience during those times growing pains when confronted also with the righteous requirements of the law. And when we see just how far we fall short of God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, all the more reason why we need to continually hear the gospel. Because fact of the matter is that we are all broken people who need Jesus. And as St. As Paul said in the first chapter of Romans, uh, beginning in the 15th verse, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And yet, if we are completely honest with ourselves, the struggle is quite real. Because as the hymn, Come Thou Fount, goes, that we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And it's especially hard for those of us who became accustomed to the things of the world and all its vices, especially for those of us who are adult converts like me, even prior to our, our conversion. Uh, but even for those of us who, or for those of you who've grown up in the faith or in the church, we all know that there are the temptations of the world. And, and for that reason, we have various struggles and continue to struggle with the things of this world and of the flesh, and this leads to unfruitful lives. In today's epistle, St. Paul contrasts servitude to sin with servitude to righteousness. But let's first talk about what we mean by the word servant in the King James Version, or also the word slave in other English translations. The Greek word is doulos, which typically means a male slave is an entity in the ancient socioeconomic context. And why we say male in this passage, it's because the masculine case ending of that Greek word. And we see this use in today's epistle. But also, the feminine use would be doule. We find that in St. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. 
uh, which is also translated as servant. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant or handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, you may have heard of doulas before, and you may have heard that as a profession, as an occupation. And according to the American Pregnancy Association, the word doula is a Greek word meaning women's servant. And women have been serving others in childbirth for many centuries and have proven that support from another woman has a positive impact on the labor process. And anytime we see the word slave in scripture, our understanding of the word is often loaded with biases and pre-understandings based on the godless practice of race-based antebellum slavery in our own country. However, the practice in the ancient Near East in Imperial Rome was quite different back in the day. In the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, we find this health, helpful explanation of what we mean by servant or slave. Central features that distinguish first century slavery from that later practiced in the New World are the following. Racial factors played no role. Education was greatly encouraged. Some slaves were actually better educated than their owners and many of them were the family physicians. And they absolutely enhanced the value of that servant, of that slave. And many of these same slaves carried out sensitive and highly responsible social functions. They could own property, which also included other servants. And their religious and cultural traditions were the same as those of the freeborn. No laws prohibited public assembly of slaves, and perhaps above all, the majority of urban and domestic slaves could legitimately anticipate their, their emancipation by their 30th birthday. So world of difference. So we got to remember when we hear the word slave or servant, we have to think in terms of the context within which this epistle was written. So with that uh, thought in mind, let's go ahead and turn to our epistle today, which is Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. And if you prefer to follow along in your prayer book, you'll actually find that on page 198 in your prayer book if you would like to follow along. So let, let us begin with uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And what was quite typical of the epistle style of St. Paul, 
he would often begin by asking a rhetorical question, such as the one that, that struck at the heart of antinomianism. And that's what this was all about. Okay, what is antinomianism? It is a heresy, which means that you're free from obligation to the moral law, and which is the opposite of legalism, which is earning righteousness by merit. Uh, because the thing is, is we cannot muster up enough goodness uh, of our, in and of ourselves uh, to meet the righteous requirements of the law. So thanks be to God that the Lord Jesus Christ paid that penalty that we deserve on the cross. And he has filled us with the Holy Spirit uh, so that we could live righteous lives before him. Now, the verse that immediately preceded this particular section ended with, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What he meant in this passage is that moral decisions still matter for Christians. Giving in to sin results in people becoming slaves to sin, especially besetting sins, which vary from one person to the next, because we all struggle with them. We struggle with different sins. And I'm especially talking about those who feel the conviction and are at the point of desperation, desiring to be free from that bondage. So if you actually feel that desperation to be free from that bondage, that's a good thing. In other words, if your conscience was not pricked at all, well, then you would have reason to, to make your calling and election sure. Well, going back to the 17th verse of chapter 6, uh, but he said, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. The apostle even though he did not plant the church in Rome, he was confident that those who had preached the gospel there had taught the converts had reproduced the characteristic teaching that had been the standard from the beginning as we would read in Acts 2.42, how they devoted uh, themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and even sharing their goods with one another and how people were in awe and wonder over what the Lord had done in their midst. So, so now that they have been freed uh, from sin, they are now slaves to righteousness, as we read in verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So now we pick up in the 19th verse. I am speaking in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. All right, so what are we talking about? This is where the apostle reminds the church that their former impure in lawless lives were marked by slavish obedience to more impurity and lawlessness, which he identified as works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. And this is where we pick up and read, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look at that list, there's not a whole lot that, that is left out, you know, lest we start thinking pharisaically, well, at least I'm not as bad as that other person over there, especially that uh, IRS agent over there. But at any rate, so as a natural consequence, and this is the point of St. Paul, that continuing in such works results in being enslaved to the former life and leaves one feeling defeated. Because if you give in to sin, repeatedly, you're not only going to feel defeated, but even worse, maybe questioning your eternal destiny. And we are continually to examine ourselves and to make our calling and election sure, just as Saints Peter and Paul said, respectively. There is a better way by asking the Lord to deliver us from besetting sins that enslave us to unrighteousness by filling us with the Holy Spirit and empowering us to live lives marked by the fruits of the Spirit. And there is a definite contrast in that. Here are the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And the more we immerse ourselves in the word of God, which actually is a byproduct of saying the office is twice daily, and, and reading the lectionary readings, which include the Psalms, and the more that we saturate ourselves with the word of God, uh, the more the Holy Spirit works in and through us to apply those truths to our hearts, which is reflected in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes as we grow in sanctification in our holiness. Victory over besetting sin yields fruit consistent with a penitent life. It brings us closer to Jesus as we walk with him in our sanctification. And we cannot do it in our own strength. We can only accomplish this by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Because we all have our areas of struggle. We all have our areas of victory. That's normal. But let us take our struggles to the Lord in prayer, seeking his grace and mercy, which he paid for on the cross. Let's move on now to Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 20, 
It essentially means that to be a slave of sin, St. Paul affirms, is to be free uh, from the control of righteousness. So if you're ultimately submitting yourself to impurity as a slave of sin, you cannot possibly be a servant of righteousness because you cannot serve both masters. And under the circumstances, the most desirable freedom uh, is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, living lives of righteousness. In contrast, being free from the control of righteousness, under those circumstances, it is not at all an, a, a desirable freedom. It would be a misunderstanding to interpret these words as meaning that a sinner has no obligation with respect to righteousness. And the intent is simply to maintain that, again, one cannot serve two masters. Each bondage is rigorous, so exacting that it demands the whole of one's attention. And that's where it's difficult, living in the world. And especially if we've struggled in certain areas before coming to Christ, then we continue to, to struggle with those areas. So I would encourage you, seek out a brother or a sister for, for help in prayer. Come to me. Come to any of the wardens. We'll be absolutely happy to pray for you. And because ultimately we are in this together. In fact, if, if you notice, just, just looking at this beautiful chapel, when, when you see the shape of this vaulted ceiling, that's why we call it the nave. It looks like an upended ship. And we are all rowing together in our sanctification as we row heavenward to eternal life. Because again, we have no idea when that time will come, when we will be absent from the body. Ultimately, those who are under such bondage to sin apart from Christ have only death to look forward to. And without hope, without peace, without certainty, without joy, but only pain. And there's nothing more joyful than being at the side of a dying believer who's ready to run into the arms of Jesus. I was absolutely there for my Uncle Leland, World War II veteran, Korean War veteran. And um, I actually said part of the uh, eulogy, eulogy at the memorial service at the Methodist church where, where they attended. I said he was the best amongst us. But you know what? He absolutely died in peace because he knew the Lord. He knew his Savior. And, um, but I've been in the room of those dying without that hope. It's very sad. It's very scary. And it's anything peaceful for the patient or the family. Such a sad thing. In fact, uh, in honoring my dear friend Sabrina yesterday, we uh, threw her a surprise party up in New Braunfels, and she was just sobbing and just overcome with joy that, that, that we would collaborate and make her bestie uh, uh, pretty much a liar in order to make it happen. You know, she was a co-conspirator, so, so we gathered, and she actually beat back pancreatic cancer three times. And she's well aware of the fragility of life and knowing that her time remaining on this earth is uncertain. But one thing I can tell you with absolute confidence is that she knows who her savior is. She absolutely has confidence that whenever that time comes, when she is called back home, to be absent from the body is to be present from, uh, from the Lord. And the one thing I wanna leave you know, for, for those who have experienced a sudden loss, my heart goes out. I cannot imagine 
what you're feeling right now. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking is normal. Okay, as far as cycles of Greek, uh, or not, not Greek, uh, cycles of grief, okay, it's not in sequential order. And you're gonna toggle back and forth between those particular stages. So whatever you're, you're feeling right now is normal, but know this, okay, that we have our confidence in the cross. We have our confidence in the very fact that our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, he rose again on the third day. And that those who have faith in him, we have that assurance of eternal life. And we also know that at the end of our lives, there is not a period, but an ellipsis or a semicolon, as if to say, to be continued, because we have our hope in the resurrection in the last day. That empty tomb guaranteed that hope that we will all have. You know, one day, for those of us who die in Christ, you know, we will have or we will one day be rejoined with our resurrected bodies to worship the Lord for all eternity at the wedding supper of the Lamb, which we rehearse every single week. Now that we've been set free from the power of sin and are slaves of God, we yield fruit consistent with sanctification, and thus we grow. And that ultimate reward is eternal life. Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23 serve as good memory verses for evangelism as well. Because remember that when we send y'all out after the service, it's to go out and bear witness of the risen Christ, simply to be ready to share your testimony. Because right now we live in a culture where people, like I mentioned before, are angry, they're hurting, they're scared, and COVID has not gone away. And I'm not saying that we live in fear where it paralyzes us, but neither should we be cavalier and throw caution to the wind in that area. We still need, need to, be, to be careful. Uh, we, we absolutely do, cautious at least. But what we need to do is also continually preach the gospel to ourselves whenever we've known we've blown it, whenever we realize that we've fallen short of that standard, whenever the Holy Spirit has revealed a particular area where we have sinned. And we simply confess that because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we read in, in St. John's epistle, chapter one, verse nine. But what is that wage? A wage is what we earn. And all we can really earn is death because of our fallenness, because we have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. The free gift is eternal life for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, him alone in his finished work on the cross. We cannot do anything to earn it or deserve it because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any of us can boast. But we also know that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead because we're saved by grace and two good works as we also read in St. James chapter two, verse 17. So these are challenging concepts, and, and I think uh, for, for you who are grieving right now, again, my, my deepest sympathies to you. Just know that, that I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. We're all here for you. We absolutely are. But just know this, that uh, even in the midst of our deepest despair, that the Lord Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit is present with us and that we can only grow in our sanctification by that same power uh, of the Holy Spirit. So reflect on it. 
uh, where your servitude lies and ask for the Lord's help, especially using that collect uh, for today. And let me go ahead and reread the collect for today, our seventh Sunday after Trinity on page 198. Lord of all power and might, who art the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of thy name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and of thy great mercy, keep us in the same, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.